Welcome to Offstage with Jordan Baylor, where you'll discover the stories behind the movers and shakers in the entertainment and business world. Now here's your host, Jordan Baylor. Hi, welcome to another episode of Offstage with Jordan Baylor. In today's episode, I had the chance to speak with Lucia Klishenikova, a woman who simply wants to change the world one person at a time. Now, Lucia is optimistic, a force, ambitious, and extremely charming. So it's no wonder why uh, she's a politician. In our interview, we discuss how she got her spot as an EU leader and the positive mindset it takes to want to bring change about through politics. Now, in the interview, I learned how European politics works and what it actually takes to bring about real change. It starts with you simply wanting to make change. It's so simple, but that's the answer. You have to make the decision first and then begin to act. So without further ado, I bring to you my interview with Lucia. Hi, welcome to another episode of Offstage with Jordan Baylor. We have on the line EU policymaker and host of podcast Lights on Europe, a series which interviews thought leaders and experts from Europe, hailing all the way from Brussels, Belgium, Lucia Kristin Sova, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I always, oh, it's so good to have you as well. Uh, I always like to um, ask the first question, who is Lucia? Wow, so Lucia is uh, very passionate about transformation of European leadership. I've been working with uh, European policymaking for many years, and I've become very passionate about exploring how attraction of new leaders, new skill sets, new ways of looking at what we can co-create, can transform what kind of European Union we live in. So this passion that brought me on the path of exploring running in politics, running my own podcast, uh, building a, a coaching practice for people who want to become European leaders in the European policymaking world. So yeah, there's a lot around European policymaking and empowering leaders and young talents. Oh, wow. That sounds like a lot to uh, juggle. That sounds like a, that sounds like <laughs> yes, a lot to yes. juggle. I guess that's where the, you know, the self-exploration comes in, that you hope that over time the pieces of the puzzle start falling together. <laughs> many of the gurus say, just keep on exploring and eventually you will reach it. So. <laughs> yeah, it's the journey to find yourself. I understand that. Um, totally. I'm, I've heard a lot, um, you know, I've heard like a lot that's going on with the world. You know, it's basically a world quarantine, lockdown and all the bad with Corona between the deaths and the job loss and the world economic stagnation. But on the flip side, do you feel like there's been any good that's helped uh, with policymaking or politics in general? Well, actually, yes, I don't want to downplay the, the, the pain that, uh, that this quarantine has brought on people and it's been very challenging for many people out there. But actually, yes, I think there's a lot of very useful reflection and slowdown and healing that this uh, period has brought to all of us. So we hear many people sharing about how they've reconsidered their careers and business models and how they exchange with the world and the planet also. I think that's the, that's the best effect for all of us that we actually stop destroying the planet for a while. But when you're asking about policymaking as such, I think the biggest transformation effect that this quarantine had on policymaking as such and all the large organizations is that it has 
massively accelerated the transformation of the workplace. And so overnight, we basically had to get comfortable with home office for tens of, tens of thousands of people, roll out digital solutions that would have been in the making for a while, basically rethink how we produce policies and, and legislation without being able to be together face-to-face. So I think this will have massive impact on all large organizations, including policymaking and legislative world where we've had to be kind of exploring new ways of looking for policy solutions in impossible times where within a week or two, we had to generate policy solutions for this kind of pandemics, which we've never seen before. So yeah, I hope that this will be one of the effects that we will be going back to large organizations, which will help operate in different kinds of ways. I think that is 100% true. I think I agree with everything. And frankly, one of the things that pops to my mind now, it's also Mm -hmm. that it changed. I mean, maybe you will want to touch upon it later on, but it also changed how we relate to each other in the large teams. Because on the one hand, you think that we are much further from one another because we're Mm -hmm. no longer in offices and you can't do the the small talks, etc. and have coffees. But at the same time, we kind of see each other in much more vulnerable intimate home situations when we spend our days on those comp calls and you see uh, people in their living rooms and how they're dressed and their kids uh, popping up halfway through the call or or you basically figure out a bit more about who your colleagues are behind the scenes if it were yeah this has a big impact yeah this has big impact on the team dynamics as well and the relationships for the future i feel i i I agree with that because I saw I saw my uh, manager's two dogs at work and I was like, oh, okay. Like I just see photos around the office, but I've never seen them like on video. And uh, yeah, 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 they're just extremely loud dogs. <laughs> but it was just <laughs> it was just funny to put like a face to the image of the dogs. Um, and then you wonder whether their people actually are similar to their animals, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. We this, choose animals true. that are similar to our personalities, so you kind of get to know people from that angle as well. Yeah, you like take on their personality and they take on your habits and they kind of carry themselves like you. Like, it, it's true, it's true. So I had a question with all this going on. Um, it almost feels like it's a little selfish to start doing um, identity politics at this point. Is identity politics still like a problem in the EU or is it unifying the efforts of all the politicians and people are just kind of putting the just differences aside? So tell me, how do you understand the term identity politics? Well, I understand it like from, I guess, from what I see within American politics, you know, you have like uh, conservatives and you have Republicans and then you have like hardcore Trumpers who would not necessarily call themselves conservatives all the time but they support president trump and then you have like the vilified like left side you have like the hardcore liberals and then you have the hardcore democrats and, and there's like different tiers to them you know because you, you get you, you got everything's everybody's so fractured they feel like they're like in they choose some like pockets and then that's like the identity that they hold on to like you have like the people that are staunch bernie sanders supporters but they're not necessarily yeah. democrats and then they're all just they all just like hold to like their little corner and then they hold on to it like for dear life. And it's pretty much their everything. And, it, and then um, they don't want to hear anything that basically could prove that their uh, identity is wrong. They just listen to yeah. news that just reinforces that everything they believe is right. And I feel like yeah. um, 
social media is making that so much easier for us to just create these pockets and then just listen to these feedback loops of just news and stuff like that to just constantly say that we're right and our opinion is right and what we believe is right and that Trump is right or Trump is the devil, you know, whatever it is. And I don't know if it's that bad in the EU, but I know it's gotten pretty bad with the whole Brexit situation um, and yeah. just the party going on and vilifying like um, refugees in different countries and people making yeah. fractions um, of like racist or even Nazis. I, I heard about Nazis like making a resurgence in Germany and stuff like that which is pretty scary, yeah. but is, is, yeah. I was just wondering, like, was it instead of it, like, instead of the fear kind of making everything worse, is it, is it kind of making everybody being like, you know what, we're all humans, like, let's do this racist stuff later? <laughs> I don't know. What, what is it doing for the politics? Yeah, yeah I totally agree. Um, I think we've reached that point where the divides, for the sake of divides, were totally ruling the way politics looked, and people were almost more interested in hearing who we're against than listening to the solutions. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's gonna be also one of the positive things of the of the pandemics now that people are almost united because of this life and death situation that it feels like the political divides are less visible because we are all basically up for looking for one solution that is going to be equally valid for everybody and so you would hope that this kind of worldview can be extrapolated to any policy area that you look at with when you're looking at healthcare reforms or education reforms you would want to have policies that work for everybody just like the vaccine for the virus now mm -hmm. so maybe it's also one of um, the contextual you know the crisis that will then force us to start looking at the politicians differently and not um, seek the divides but listen to what kind of values they're bringing to the table that's actually what i would be hoping for at least for the european space when I was talking about new generation of leaders coming in, it's not so much about which camp you're representing because you're supposed to be serving the whole society. It's more about whether you're representing the old world of divides or the future leading through a greater purpose and greater values that can be uniting the society. I don't know if it makes sense, but that's what wow. I would be, yeah, wishing it's, for. Yeah. That you I, see, yeah, you're you know, right. Leaders coming in who are greater than themselves and it's not about this leader either a sponsorship group that they're representing or their community or whatever identity feature they represent. But it's, yeah, humanity in a sense. I guess that's a bit too nice to say, but you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's almost becoming like a, a, a pre-corona world in a post coronavirus world or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. But the identity politics would be pro-human versus like pro-money or pro-poor or you know whatever yeah uh, you're yeah. I, wow I, i'd never thought that's about that's where this this pandemic like makes us all equally vulnerable and you see top level politicians being dependent on that nurse that they would never you know like mm -hmm. how have we got to a stage of humanity where we pay teachers so little or the nurses so little and now everybody understands how dependent we are on a person selling us that milk and being healthy or that nurse taking care of us. And now it's the top level politicians who are grateful for their service, who probably will have changed their worldview at the same time. Yeah, we hope. I think right? it's humbled society. Like it's brought it down a notch. It's not like 
what yeah. you make it's not about the amount of money you make or you know i can code some cool app it's like yeah that's cool we need that but like nah man we need bread more than that like physical bread you know <laughs> like or we need yeah you know, yeah you know, so I, I i agree with narrowing you. it down to the essentials yeah and people are staying home with their kids and they're like man my child is annoying maybe i should pay my teacher more you know <laughs> like people are <laughs> understanding that every the importance of like the little job or not the little job, but the job that we don't necessarily cast light on. I, I think that's yes. beautiful. I think that's beautiful. Yes. Yes. So how did you get your start, start in, in, in politics? Was the main goal always to be involved in the political world? Or how did that shift come about for you? Oh, absolutely not. No, I've never been involved in politics. And uh, it's rather been, for me, a calling to show up more for my country because I've been living abroad in I'm Slovak, uh, which is in Central uh, Europe. Mm -hmm. And I've been living in Belgium, which is the headquarters of European institutions for many years. And after years of working on the Brexit process, uh, trying to contribute to shifting the way we communicate, trying to get involved a bit more here and there, I felt before the European elections were coming up that my next place is not to be in Brussels, but it's actually in, in my country to show up a little bit more for how European Union is communicated and presented and how general public understand it. Uh, maybe just a little parenthesis for those who don't understand. So European Union has kind of multiple governance institutions and one of them is European Parliament, which is directly elected by citizens in all EU member states and so it's almost like a local elections of politicians who then represent your country at the European level and so I basically took myself out of my career of European policymaker for a while in order to be yeah present on the ground in my country walking the streets and talking to thousands of people there trying to understand what is it that they wish for as future of European Union what are their issues what is it they get what they don't get how do they feel as, as citizens of the eu because we know that one of the reasons for brexit or the other extremist situations in europe is also the fact that citizens don't feel listened to or recognized in the larger political process and so it was a um, yeah big self-expression experience for me trying to come up with um, communication that it's gonna that is gonna be relatable and authentic enough for people to want to show up in the elections because that's also one of the big challenges in my country that people don't feel inspired enough I guess to, yeah. to show up in the European elections so we have very low turnout rates oh, so man. yeah that was one of the reasons for me as well yeah so everybody who's listening if you're if you're nudged to get involved with the European political process in one way or another, I'll be happy to, to share my experience because it's, it's never an easy decision, in particular when it comes to women. That's also one particular space that I'm involved with. How do you attract more women into politics? And it's a very, yeah, for some painful, for some dangerous uh, almost decision. It's, it's very intimate and makes you very vulnerable in the process so um yeah i'd be happy to to pass on the experience if anybody's asking themselves the question if that's something that could uh, be their next uh, place of contributing to the public space wow that was uh i like that i like that answer a lot that was very um humble of you you know 
to summarize your whole life yeah. like that. Yeah. So um, before the coronavirus uh, hit, what was the most political, uh, what was the most important political issue for you? Or what were you working on before this problem came about? Oh, so I work in one of the European institutions in the, mm -hmm. in the area where we support competitiveness of the businesses. So that is working on the business environment, industrial policies. And so I was involved a lot with the, how we support European entrepreneurs with preparing for, for the Brexit process because the, the value chains across the EU are hyper, hyper integrated as it mm. is in the US as well. And uh, so that was one, uh, one area of my involvement. And then I also work on equality policies because for... This is the first time in the history of the EU that not only the European Commission, one of the main institutions, has a female president, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, but also we have a commissioner, one of the top uh, European politicians, uh, who's in charge of the equality um, policies. So we've created um, this little team of people who are trying to make sure that equality as a value is requested and is reflected in all policies that we produce. Uh, so that would mean, for instance, even now when we're coming up with solutions for the corona crisis, how do we make sure that uh, the solutions work equally for for women, uh, staff, nurses, for instance, or seniors who may not have access to equal healthcare treatment or LGBTI communities, etc. And so mm -hmm. disregarding of whatever policy area you look at, if it's industrial policy or healthcare or, or whatever technical standard you, you can think of, it's important that we don't only look at it um, through the lens of the mainstream population, but that we always have in mind the the impacts on the people who feel less visible in the process. So I've been lucky enough to support the European Commission in, in the policies that uh, we're looking at, gender equality, LGBTI strategies, yeah. Uh, so all kinds of themes, yes. All kinds of things. Okay, so you're, you're uh, I mean, this is, what I, this, is what I'm, this is what I think. So your job is to kind of take policy, European policy, and then filter it well, not really filter it, but just kind of see how people could be getting lost in the cracks and then kind of just bring them up a little bit more in the policy so that they're more visible? Exactly, exactly. Oh, wow. So obviously with many other people with uh, big teams, it's not like I'm, uh, I'm the one. Mm -hmm. uh, there are big teams of people working on an issue. But yes, yeah, so for instance, take an example of uh, the place where I work at. We also have a space policy. So that would be like really launching space shuttles to the universe like the American NASA does. And so, for instance, uh, think of how many women uh, astronauts do you have? How many women do you have coming into the space policy and space industry who are the owners of the companies who are supplying these government contracts to develop the space shuttles. Do all parts of the society have equal access to these opportunities? These are important questions to be asking ourselves because we know very well that this is man-made world in a sense and we all have big bias in how we take our decisions. So it's very probable and the statistics show that for instance, certain industries would be very male dominated um this is just an example when you look at the gender lens mm -hmm. and so this is one of uh, my big passions to 
to be looking at whether there are some imbalances which are not natural. Obviously, sometimes you have to have uh, imbalances for whatever kind of reasons, but when it's not natural, when it comes to business opportunities which are not open to everybody simply because the, the decision-making is happening in closed clubs of people who have access to power, mm-hmm. then it's important that we question that reality and create conditions for movements to, and groups and, and social support structures which can slowly empower individuals to break through those walls and yeah be more empowered in creating whatever business or life opportunity that they want to create for themselves wow i i love that I like that you're challenging the status quo and you're actually questioning um instead of just going along with it you're seeing that the, the problem and you're going like you know how can we change that because you're right. A lot of the decisions that affect our lives on a daily basis are made in like dark rooms, like you said, with people that um, it's probably like four or five people and it's, you know, benefits them the most, you know, and then, you know, they get all yeah. the money or whatever happens. And then you're just yeah. kind of like left kicking the shoe down the road, like trying to figure it out. But it's is never really real and it's not wrong that there's representative structures obviously Mm -hmm. you can never have millions of people deciding because we wouldn't be moving anywhere so you have to have representation but it's important to constantly ask ourselves how do we choose those people and who has access to those opportunities right Mm -hmm. so you've positioned yourself as a mentor for the youth to get into uh european politics Um, why does that speak to you and how do you frame the message so it connects the importance of government to the young yeah so it's not just european politics it's also the bigger world of policy making so the Mm -hmm. the administration around it supporting politicians in preparation of the proposals the ideas of the programs that the public sector basically creates for the society to work and and um, basically, my passion around it is, is, a, is coming from the recognition of how much do we really need to recreate this as a, as a sector of careers, which normally wouldn't be as attractive for young people out there, simply because of the reputation that this sector has on mm-hmm. the job market. So most of us would have been working with young people who typically want to get into startup careers and who want to have their self-expression, creative, free, entrepreneurial lifestyle. And they wouldn't normally think about going into politics because it's dirty and closed and whatever, or they wouldn't be thinking about going into policymaking and public administration because the reputation there is that it's the most boring, gray, rigid, you know, yeah. very kind of formatting, formatted kind of world, which would be, wouldn't be respecting enough their need for the dynamics and creativity and variety. And so what I think is important is to recognize that if we want states to continue working, because the state is going to stay and we are going to live in a world of legislation and taxes and healthcare and education, etc., mm-hmm. we need to continue renewing this world as any industry out there and this basically yeah would require young people to be attractive enough for this sector so that we can be selecting out of the best people out there on the market to attract the best people out there to the public sector functions so that we generate the best possible policies for the whole society 
and that's why I got so much passionate about not only attracting the best people into the sector, but also taking one step before that, which is almost reframing the way the sector is perceived and being a bit of like an ambassador for the carriers in the EU administration and in the public service, because obviously there's reasons for why the roles are there and why you cannot be like super autonomous as if it was your own company. We still have to be uh, accountable to the citizens and taxpayers, etc. It's not like we would be coming up with uh, ideas and redesigning our product every single day the way we would normally be allowed to if it was our company. Yeah. But still, the the opportunities are there for self-expression and for creating your ideal job to the extent possible. And so, what I'm big on is helping young people to understand what their greatest passion and talent is, and then how can they package it so that it works within the the framework of the public sector so that it works for them it makes them happy and and fulfilled and self-expressed and at the same time it allows the public sector to use the best talent out there to be able to react to the massive challenges that we have out there is it is it corona now or is it climate change or is it the use of artificial intelligence in our society for all days we need the best experts out there and we cannot risk losing that talent simply because they would think this is not a good enough job for them because they think it's too boring or whatever is the reputation of the sector this episode is brought to you by our good friends over at sock season I have a pair of their unisex essential star quality socks and man, they are comfortable. They truly are. They, they, they come in like weird, funky, cool colors. And I'm not just saying this because they paid me. I'm saying it because I'm a big sock guy and I hate socks that fall apart after a few washes or they're cheap or they're, they're tight around the toe or they hurt around the ankle. I've experienced a lot of different socks and a lot of these companies are cutting corners. I've gotten socks from H&M, different department stores, and quite frankly, I feel like I've gotten beaten a lot of times because I no longer wear the socks. And after a few washes, they either rip or they shrink or I lose a pair or I lose one of the socks. That, the, those two are on me. But sometimes they're warped and they just lose their shape. But the cool thing about sock season is Sock Season has a unique 30-day wash guarantee, which covers socks bought within the first 30 days. Like, if you buy them and they fall apart within the first 30 days, they will replace them. No questions asked. Which is crazy, but that's how much they believe in their socks. So, go to www.SockSeason.com S-O-C-K-S-E-A-S-O-N.com Use coupon code OFFSTAGE for 25% off your first order and tell them Jordan sent you because every day is sock season. Yeah, so you're kind of like competing with tech companies that can be sexy and they have the catered lunches and you have to tell like young kids that are coming out of college, hey, why don't you step into policymaking? Uh, Totally, yeah. Imagine that you've studied astrophysics 
Uh-huh. And you can choose whether you're going to work for Elon Musk or you're going to work for the government agency, which yeah. is uh, structuring the space program. So it's the same thing for any government job. Mm-hmm. You have a very sexy private sector offer, which probably offers more money and a nicer workplace and God knows what kind of treats. And so we are no longer in that position as now we as i speak as state or public administrations maybe in the 70s or 80s it used to be you know the the sexy place from which you can change the world because you have much larger space and leverage for for impact now you can have equally big impact from private sector and so how as public administration do we stay equally competitive to attract the best people so that they don't run off to work for private companies? That's the big question, I think, for the future. Wow, you just said so much. It kind of blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not even joking. If someone, if someone, because you have a pretty, pretty uh, accomplished career, if someone wanted to follow your career path and they're just starting or they don't know anything about politics, how should they start? In understanding my personal path or how to start with public sector careers? Just kind of public sector careers. Like they might not necessarily be in Europe. They could be in America. But like what, I mean, how can they, you know, begin to make a difference in their own community? I think the most important thing is not to overanalyze it and not to be too sophisticated about it because all of us are going through so many faces in our lives and most of us have no clue what we're going to be doing in a couple of years because those jobs don't exist yet or the sectors don't exist mm-hmm. so don't be too harsh on yourselves by thinking that now i'm making the life choice and uh, the, the sector that i choose i'm gonna be stuck there for 30 40 years so it must be the right choice and there's no right choice there's just the choice we are making in that period of our life with the information that we have and also with the curiosity that brings us to certain experience. So what I believe in is that it's important to know yourself and be doing that inner work and understand what is it that you're good at, which are the strengths that you want to bring to the world to be of contribution, which are the topics that you care, care about most. Is it human rights? Is it green? Is it artificial intelligence? Is it there's so many problems out there and so few people working on them that is just the question of making the choice for that period and then creating a structure around you that will help you design the best situation for that period that you're in so if for instance you think that you want to explore careers in public sector then you can get in touch with me if you're in in European Union or with whoever is your role model in the US, if you're in the US and start exploring with the people, where is the best place and how to get into that careers for the moment. Same if it's politics, same if it's startup, same if it's, if you feel called to build your own NGO, it's, I think the magic is in understanding yourself, knowing what do you stand for in that moment and then surrounding yourself with the role models with the people who can serve as your inspiration and be your mentors to basically accompany you to do those daily baby steps to develop the job for that period or the business that you feel called to con- to to build in that period but i wouldn't you know like create a big pressure around who do you want to be when you grow up i think there's nothing more 
you know, disempowering as a question for young kids because it puts them in this very scary position of making once in a lifetime choice, mm-hmm. which I believe is not not a healthy, you know, not an, not, not an easy position to be in. I understand that, especially like thinking my career choices from high school to like where I am today. I've had a lot of different careers or tried a lot of different things. So I, I definitely yeah. understand that it's very, very scary because you're like, am I making the yeah. right choice? And you're constantly questioning yourself. Um, totally. And so, for instance, when it comes to EU carriers now, that's mm-hmm. why also I started doing this podcast, uh, which you mentioned, Lights on Europe, mm-hmm. where I interview people who either work in the European administration in, in Brussels or somehow are around it or are lobbyists or trainers or coaches empowering uh, the leaders, the, the, trans, the people who are standing for transformation of the European Union. So in the podcast, I interview them to basically shine more light on who they are. What do they stand for? How have they created they, their life path? What is it that makes them succeed and fail? Because I believe that these are the stories that can be very transformative for especially young people out there listening to how easy or not it is to make life choices around building one's career because when I put myself in those shoes of many many years ago when I was dreaming of working for European institutions and I had no clue who these people are I had no access to understanding their personal stories and not even like go and ask them it was the times of probably no social media back then Mm -hmm. so now we are in that other stage where we have access to so much but it's almost difficult to navigate that ocean of information and on top of it there's very little i feel authentic sharing and that vulnerable stories of how much of doubt there is along the way and everybody questioning themselves and or failing and learning from their own mistakes so that's why I feel that interviews like those in my podcast can help young people understand what does it mean through our lens, through these interviews, what does it mean to be a transformation leader in European Union and contribute to European policies. So go listen to the podcast Lights on Europe. Long story short, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Everybody. And also, once you do... Please leave your feedback, leave a comment wherever you're listening, or five reach stars. out to leave me on social star. media. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> if you like it, leave five stars. If you don't like it, just go away. Don't leave any review. <laughs> <laughs> and also invite instead of the five stars, invite five friends to listen to it so that they leave also five stars share their opinion. And invite five friends. <laughs> five five by five. Yes. I love it. but i think it's very important also that you share as as whoever is listening now that you share your feedback because podcasting is a very lonely place uh, where you you put a lot of energy and love into creation of your content and you send it out there and and part of that energy comes back but it's never as much so i'm always very grateful for everybody who sends me that insta message or wherever they find me on social media where they when they get in touch and tell me whether it resonates, what are the questions they're left with or what are the main takeaways or what is it that they would like to hear in the future because that makes it um, yeah, a more, more kind of uh, two-way relationship conversation with the audience. I love it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very lonely. Um, who are some people that inspire you? Wow, so... 
there's uh, there's many many of them come from outside of the policy making space many of them are american so it's people like Marianne Williamson, who's big on bringing love into politics, or Brené Brown, who, who inspires us about vulnerability in our conversations, or Gabby Bernstein. There's a lot of thought leaders who bring spirituality into business and politics and self-expression. That's what um, I'm very to because I think that's what we need, uh, at least in European Union. Obviously, I don't want to be speaking for other spaces, but um, yeah, I'm very grateful for their work and always uh, very happy whenever I can see them in Europe or listen to their content. So God bless technology now, especially in the times of Corona. <laughs> That's awesome. When you were um, like, I guess like in high school or college, did you see yourself in politics? Because I know you said that you were envisioning yourself in. Um, no, not at all. I was always an activist in some ways. So mm -hmm. I had very green period when I was in high school um, being engaged with like launching the first recycling scheme at my school stuff like oh, that wow. and I was involved a bit with like local yeah now that I'm you were that kid it, you were like the save the well kids huh you were like the hey, we're putting together <laughs> school fund and we're gonna do this this you were that kid weren't you yeah <laughs> what what was the and shift to be like, make you um you know what I want to make a difference like I need to step out and and speak for people whose voices aren't being heard because you come from a place where you don't speak for yourself you're always talking about other people and and, and trying to be like a megaphone yeah. for other people's issues so you you don't really have like a like a selfish kind of you know dissonance around you you know what i mean like wow, you're always thank like, you yeah so i was like wh wh what was that shift for you were like you know what i have to step up and, and and be like the best lucia i can be to for for other people you know what I've been asking because many people ask me this and I've been asking mm -hmm. my parents like was there like that little trauma that I forgot about which you think converted me into this and they mm -hmm. never you know were able to pinpoint that moment for me but I think there it has something to do with the fact that I was born in or I grew up in that post-communist central Europe when um, so I was born in Czechoslovakia Mm -hmm. which fell apart in 99 and there was this revolution transformation period and the whole 90s were very identity building in a sense for the whole central europe because we were going through that post-communist transformation into market democracy and that was my teenage years when i was growing up and listening everybody around me talking about the european union being the light at the end of the tunnel and the holy grail and how can we make our little slovak democracy and market how can we make it work by integrating it to this greater structure, which is the European Union? And so I think there's like deep down, there's this feeling in me of massive gratitude for the people, not only for those who, who fought for collapse of communism, but also for the first generation of post-communist politicians who were fighting for integration of Slovakia into the European Union. And so every day when I'm at work and, and, I, and I'm sitting in that meeting with like French and German and Spanish and God knows whom, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm mindful of, of the fact that, oh my God, like I wouldn't be here if there weren't generations of people before me fighting for our place at this table. And so I think I, there's this sense in me of, of almost paying it forward and, and trying to continue building that legacy because people who are 
people are often very critical of the European Union, but they often forget how young it is compared to, let's say, American democracy. And so mm-hmm. I always feel that responsibility towards uh, trying to make it better for whoever are going to be the generations after us. Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. So you have that, you know, you don't, you, you come from an era where you, you don't take it for granted, basically. Um, whereas a lot of people might be in your same position, they might take it for granted because it's been like that for them their entire life. But you know what's on the other side, you know, the, the side yeah. of communism and, and not having your voice heard. So you're like, I'm not going to take this for granted. I, I, I like that. Yeah. Like and that. also, also the recognition of how privileged we are. It's not like I want to be pretending that I come from God knows where and how hard my childhood was. I, mm-hmm. at the same time, recognize that I've been privileged a lot, having been born in the, in the space of peace and having health and having the love of my parents and having their support in everything that I ever embarked on in whatever they could have been thinking about the ideas of who I want to be doing with my life. They were always very supportive. And, and that was, that's a very, very kind of defining feature. I feel if you're growing up as a child and, and your parents tell you that it's just the question of, really you working your ass off and when you put in the hard work you can become anything you want and so that's a very powerful i think um yeah almost identity design feature uh which then makes you courageous enough to experiment with what you're called to do has there been um an increase in, in, in um, voices being heard in, in the Czech since, since they transitioned to EU politics? Is this still yeah. like dirty, crooked politics as usual? Like, or is it, you know? Is it- yeah, generally in our space, what I feel has been a big shift, especially in Slovakia in the past couple of years, Slovakia went through a big transformation because of a very tragic murder that happened uh, of, a, of a journalist and his fiance who was involved in investigation of some of some corruption related crimes in in our country and so this was a big trauma for the society and a big trigger of of uh, civil society movement rising up and people stepping up for for to express their wish for transformation of the politics and so uh this was three years ago when when people started showing up much more for what kind of values they want to see in politics and this has brought about a big uh, big change uh new generation of politicians running in the politics for uh to start with that's very important that you see young people coming home also the experts coming home from abroad and and not going into business but many of them going into politics and uh and trying to lead from a from a new value space so yeah there's hope or at least i want to have hope but yes there is there is one i love it i love it um sometimes trauma like a, an assassination can either do one of two things to a cause it can either like deflate deflate it and take all the air out of its sails or it could revitalize it and uh, i'm glad to yeah. hear that it revitalized the it. only thing is that you would hope that you don't need traumas like murders yeah, for this for sure. to happen yeah. so unfortunately yeah it had to go as far mm-hmm. but it was also one of the triggers for me to show up in the elections because you then wonder like does it really need to get that bad for people to start uh getting more involved in politics 
or in European politics, does it need to get as bad as Brexit for people to really realize the value of membership? So mm. uh, unfortunately, that's how human mind works, that you only appreciate stuff once you lose it, right? So uh, it's important that we are, yeah, acknowledging, I guess, what we have before we lose it. That's a big lesson to be learned from all of these experiences. Humility. I love it. I love it. Um, I just got one last question for you, Lucia. Um, how can the people get in touch with you? So um, you've, <laughs> you've already tried to pronounce my name. I have an impossible surname to, uh, mm-hmm. to remember. So it's luciaklistinkova.eu. So it's L-U-C-I-A-K-L-E-S-T-E-U. I-N-C-O-V-A dot E is my <laughs> website. If anybody is still listening at this stage, there's a, all links to my social media. Please get in touch. Uh, send me a message on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you find me. There's a new YouTube channel also with a series of interviews. I'll be also putting on my podcast there. Look up Blights on Europe on uh, Spotify or your iTunes podcast, wherever you're listening. And um, yeah, just please get in touch. Let me know what your thoughts are and whether I can support you in any way in your journey of being uh, a more active, conscious, values-based leader, be it in in the US or the EU. I was supposed to be in the US now. Uh, Unfortunately, that was called off. Uh, So I might be back in, in October this year. So maybe I might even meet some of you. Nice, nice. Well, I'd like to tell you that we admire you for your humility, your work ethic, and your clear message of trying to help the youth. And that is extremely commendable. Doesn't matter what your values are. And um, Thank you so much. And mm-hmm. thanks also for the opportunity to have me. It doesn't happen so much, this kind of European-American exchange in the podcasting world. So I really appreciate it anytime somebody reaches out from across the pond to bring a bit more of the European conversation into the U.S. Thank you. I mean, it, it's definitely humbled me and made me not take my um, political process so um, frivolously, you know, knowing that I can jump online and say whatever I want about a politician. I don't have to worry about the FBI knocking or showing up at my door to arrest me because I said something about his hair piece or something. You know what I mean? Like I have freedom mm-hmm. of speech and it just makes me more uh, grateful for it. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. It's been another episode of Offstage with Jordan Baylor. We're out. Thank you for listening to Offstage with Jordan Baylor. Now go forth and create.